Greetings, this is Dr. Chris Bergwald, Director of the Office of Evangelization and Catechesis with the Catholic Diocese of Sioux Falls, and I'm happy to introduce the following presentation from a Faith for Life seminar held in Sioux Falls on November 15, 2008, on the topic of the genius of woman, being a Catholic woman in the 21st century. The presenter is Ms. Je Jeanette DeMello, Director of Communications and Archdiocesan Spokeswoman for the Archdiocese of Denver and Archbishop Charles Chaput. Ms. DeMello is also on the board of the National Catholic Women's Organization in Dow. This is the second of three talks which De Ms. DeMello gave. I hope you enjoy this presentation, and may God bless you. Okay, we're going to wrap up our session. I didn't quite finish talking about the first, finish my first talk. We had a few delays with my mic, so... We're going to continue just to outline what the new feminism looks like, okay? Um, the new feminism, which is what the fourth phase of feminism is what we'll call it. You know, we reviewed the first um, in the mid-1800s. We reviewed the second in the mid-1900s or uh, uh, 1920, excuse me, yeah, 1920s. 1960s was the third uh, phase. It was radical feminism moderate feminism, and then Pope John Paul says, you know what, there's going to be a new phase. And that new phase, the fourth phase of feminism, is authentic feminism. Authentic feminism. <clears throat> and in this phase, like I said, we're we embracing femininity. We're um, looking for a universal recognition of the dignity of women. We're understanding femininity through our, the gift of our reason, and we'll understand it through the gift of faith. And we are reinforcing the differences of men and women as wonderfully complementary. Someone asked me about this, and she said, I wanted to know, I, I was a little confused about this equality. We often confuse equality um, with sameness, but we're not the same. We're equal but unique. We're equal but unique. And number four, we are looking at women, uh, we are looking for women who are intent on reconciling humanity to itself, bringing the human person to the forefront of people's minds in all that we do. Let's delve into that a little bit. I'm going to also touch, some people came after, please feel free to come <laughs> give me your comments afterwards or, or your thoughts. Um, I try to ask as many questions during of you so that you can think about them and, and, and tell me, you know, in, in all together. But um, someone said that what is interesting about radical feminists is that uh, they pretend or they claim to speak for all women, right? I mean, so often they're for women's rights and they're speaking for all women, but they're not speaking for me. You know, and I think we need to, to voice that. These ra we cannot let radical feminists speak for us because we have a different view of femininity. And I really appreciated that comment. Um, radical feminists tend to put men down, and I want to be sure that you know that that's not what I'm here about, here for today. It's not to put men down. Um, in a sense, they wanted to climb right over men and say, "We don't need you," and that's not what we're saying. We need men. We need that complementarity. Um, and we need to make sure that the radical element of feminist, feminism 
isn't speaking for us, but that we are voicing who we are. And that, that's why we need to know it. We need to learn it. Um, another thought occurred to me, what is dignity? You know, what are we talking about when we speak about dignity? Dignity isn't something we acquire. We don't go out and gain dignity by doing anything. It's, it's who we are. It's a gift. It's an inherent gift. It's undeniable. It doesn't matter if, if you're in a situation like these women. They still have dignity, right? They didn't lose their dignity because they're in these awful situations. And we need to tell them that. Someone else told me, I just see the suffering of women around me. And, and I, you know, I, uh, she, she lived at a time where she saw these, these movements, you know, happening in, in the, particularly the radical movement. And, um, and, and she still sees the distress that women are in. And, and what can she do but tell them of their dignity, right? Regardless if they're in one of these situations, we need to speak of the dignity. And we're going to talk now about what that dignity is. <clears throat> Get oriented here. Someone else also asked me where they can get these documents. Um, Endow doesn't sell these separate from their study guides, so it's not through Endow that you can get them. Um, but if you are interested in, in picking up, in, in being a part of Endow, which is small study groups that you do, there's no homework, you do it, the study together and you meet as, um, there are eight chapters in a study guide, so you meet eight times uh, is how it's supposed to work. Um, if you want to know more about Endow, I think it, it has been accepted into most of your diocese. There may not be studies going on, in your diocese at this time, that's simply because there aren't women to lead them. <laughs> so if you are interested, please come and grab some material here. We have flyers. Um, there's a card for uh, the young girl, or the girl who um, works for Endow and is in charge of promoting it. Um, and there are a few flyers that just explain what it is. Um, and you're, I think there are quite a few flyers, so if you want to take a handful, you know other people who are interested, please go ahead and do that. Where can, so where can you get this if it's not through Endow? Your Catholic bookstore could probably order them for you. Um, you could probably find them online um, to order if you wanted the book. If you want the document printed out, you can also find that online. And it's at vatican.va, V-A. And then there's search, just search for On the Dignity of Women, and you should find it. Or you could get the Latin term, but you can I invite you to come up and, and look at it. Mulieris Dignitatis. Vatican.va. Vatican.va. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to start by reading again. Um, I hope that doesn't bore you. I am at number nine of Letter to Women. Are there any teachers in the room? Do you have a few... Teachers, teachers, studying to be teachers, wonderful. I'm not a teacher. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I always cringe a little bit when I'm teaching in front of teachers. I'm a communicator. I do sound bites. Um, and so this is a little difficult for me. <laughs> um, I'm at number nine. And I'm just going to read it because I think it's the Pope's words are much more beautiful than mine. Progress usually tends to be measured 
according to the criteria of science and technology, right? Nor from this point of view has the contribution of women been net negligible. We've contributed, like I've said, we had um, Clara Barton, we had Marie Curie. Um, even so, this is not the only measure of progress, nor in fact is it the principal one, even though our society tells us this is kind of the measure of progress. Don't say no way. Much more important is the social and ethical dimension <coughs> which deals with human relations and values, spiritual values. In this area, which often develops in an inconspicuous way, beginning with the daily relationships between people, especially within the family, society, family, society, the family and society certainly owes much to the genius of women. So what he's saying is, first of all, we use the term genius of women and we have to discuss that. But what he's saying is it's not, we're not gonna measure progress by technology or by science. We're gonna measure progress more in the social and ethical dimension. We're gonna measure progress in the dimension of human relationships, in the, in the dimensions of spiritual values. And he says that women have a special genius in this realm, okay? We have a special genius in the realm of human relationships, in the ethical realm. And, and really what we're talking about here is the soul. We're talking about a value that is not measured um, by what we can produce. It's measured by who we are in our souls, in our beings. We're gonna focus now not so much on the exterior and what women have done, on that precisely who we are. The Pope goes through and he starts recognizing women again. Um, he's so thankful. He's going to go through and recognize. Here I would like to express particular appreciation to those women who are involved in the various areas of education. So all of you teachers, extending well beyond the family. So all of you families too, mothers too, who will teach, obviously teach your kids. But he's going to thank people who work in nurseries, schools, universities, social service agencies, parishes, associations, and movements. Wherever the work of education is called for, we can note that women are ever ready and willing to give themselves generously to others, especially in serving the weak and most defenseless. In this work, they exhibit a kind of effective cultural and spiritual motherhood, which has inestimable value for the development of individuals and the future of society. Listen to that. In this work, the work of educating, which so many of us do in one way or the other, he says, exi we exhibit a kind of effective cultural and spiritual motherhood. So even me, who, am, who is not a mother, exhibits this, which has inestimable value for the development of individuals and the future of society. That's a great weight, huh? At this point, how can I fail to mention the witness of so many Catholic women and religious congregants of congregations of women from every continent who have made education, particularly the education of boys and girls, their principal apostolate? How can I not think with gratitude of all the women who have worked and continue to work in the area of health care, not only in highly organized institutions, but in very precarious circumstances in the poorest countries of the world, thus demonstrating a spirit of service? Not, which not infrequently borders on martyrdom. I think of Mother Teresa whenever I hear of that. You know, someone who worked with the poor 
um, the marginalized, who provided healthcare in the most basic of ways and did it to the point of almost of martyrdom of her, her physical body. Um, it is my hope, dear sisters, that you will reflect carefully on what it means to speak of the genius of woman. Not only in order to be able to see in this phase a specific part of God's plan which needs to be accepted and appreciated, but also in order to let this genius be, be, be more fully expressed in the life of society as a whole, as well in the life of the church. So again, he's saying we need to accept this genius, take it into ourselves, know it, accept it, and we need to live it because society depends on it. That's the point, is when women started to kind of buck the male domination, it was a very good thing. But when we began to climb over men and tell them we didn't need them, we set it all off balance, right? It, it, it became skewed and confused and completely off balance. And now we need to get back into balance. We need to know who we are and not try to step over men because society depends on it. Society depends on the complementarity of male and man and woman. <clears throat> what is the feminine genius? Um, this, this, this word, this term, sometimes you hear feminine genius, sometimes you hear genius of women. It is used in, in both in the encyclical Mulieris Dignitatum on the dignity of women. It's also used in, um, in this letter to women. And when we hear the word genius, we typically think of, um, of a really smart person, right? But then there are geniuses of music, too, or geniuses in the realm of art. And so what genius is, is someone who excels in a unique gift, right? They excel in their unique gift. That's, that's really what a genius is. And he calls, Pope John Paul calls this genius of women that it's an essential part of our nature. That's what the genius is. And it's something that we can excel at. Um, it's a gift. It's, it's a spirit of being woman. And we have the responsibility of sharing this gift with others. What is the gift? What is the gift? Love. What's the gift? I would say that the gift is interiority. Very, very nice. I like that. So we take, I take two, two great words from that, interiority and contemplative. Okay, so con interiority and contemplative. What is this genius? I'll ask you again. Interiority, contemplativeness, what is the genius of women? Nurturing. Nurturing, yes, wonderful. Compassion. Compassion. Endurance. Endurance, yeah. She made that point earlier that um, what we're talking about is something that is global for women, and it's so true. I mean, what we're talking about this is not for Americans, American women. This is for um, the women in Sudan as well. This is for the women in China as well. So it, it, we are global, and this inherent nature is global. Fruitfulness. Thank you. Okay, attention to details. 
That's where we that's where we draw from. That's where, where that's where this comes from. So any anyone else? Young ladies? I'm also thinking of resourcefulness and creativity. You're right. Resourcefulness, creativity. Yes. Sacrifice. Very good. Perseverance. These are you're absolutely right. Everything you've said is absolutely right. It's beautiful. And the way the Pope puts it, and, uh, and, and the first lady who said interiorness or interiority is a beautiful way of putting it. Because basically what the Pope says is that we have the capacity in our bodies to take in a human person, right? Conception. To take into our wombs a human person and nurture him. To nurture that human person. That's a beautiful gift. And we don't have to be mothers to do it. Our spirit also does that. We have the ability to see the human person and take him or her into us. And what do I mean by that? We nurture them. We see them for who they are. We respect them. We just love them. We are so often filled with this, this gift of compassion or empathy, as, as Elizabeth um, will talk later, because that's something Edith Stein wrote about. But we have this capacity. Now, one woman in one, one of the study guides told me, and she, um, she was a little choking up when she said this, but she said, how can all women have this? My, my mother didn't have that. And she was deeply hurt. And we all know that at times we don't have it. But we all know that at times the women we see don't have this. Does that mean that they don't have the spirit? No. It means we have free will. And we can accept the spirit, receive it graciously. We can choose to, to, to live it out. We don't have to live it out. It's not determinism. We're not determined by our bodies. We're given a gift by our bodies. Right? We're given a gift by this soul that is is filled with the capability of interiority, of nurturing, of caring, of seeing and loving the human person. But it's not its not something that, yep, you got it. You've you got to choose it. you got to choose it every day, day in and day out. Even even when you're, you're uh, picking up after your kids uh, for the umpteenth time in a day, even when, like me, you're, um, you're, you're having to work in an office that is, I have, I have five different... Off, uh, departments that are under me, and I have to constantly be making sure they're produ producing, producing a newspaper, producing the website, you know, answering the media calls. And in the midst of all that, I recognize often that I forget the person. I forget the reporter who is on the other side of the phone, who is, who you know, basically wants to attack the church in her article, and I have to lovingly defend it. Sometimes it's a real challenge for me because I feel defensive. I want to. I want to hold, you know, protect the church from this pesky reporter who is going to attack it and, and publish it all over um, Denver. And I have to take a step back and say, you know, there's a person on the other end of this, and this person has needs. This person has has confusion. This person has desire, and I need to see that person. 
And in the course of my busyness and needing to do the work, which is defending the church, I also need to recognize that woman on the other end, that reporter, that man on the other end. And, um, and it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. And, and I have to choose it every day, though. I have to choose to do that. And, and we all have to. There were a couple of questions. Yes, ma'am. that are um, societal obstacles, you know, like the grand history. But when I, when I introduced the day, I said we sometimes have obstacles that are historical and sometimes we have obstacles that are deeply personal, right? Deeply personal obstacles. And that, that yet they don't wipe away our dignity. They don't wipe away the gift. That gift doesn't go away, you know? It may take a lot of interior reflection. It may take healing um, uh, to get back to the gift. But it's always there, and that's the beautiful thing. It's always there. That's a beautiful ministry um, that this diocese offers. I have to say, when I first started being vow, um, this is a break from my stuff, but we'll get back to it. When I first started, um, first did an endow study, um, I was, you know, I came to Denver as a director of communications, and I, I uh, thought, well, what is this endow? You know, I'm, I'm was one of the few young women directors of the Archdiocese. There's a lot of men directors. And so I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm a woman. What's, what is this woman's organization that we have in this Archdiocese? And so I took, did an out and vow study um, because I wanted to know what it was. It was more of, I, I need to discover this. I need to figure out what it is because I'm the director of communications, blah, 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 blah. I was completely humbled um, taking that uh, in vow study because I was humbled by people sharing their experiences of, of womanhood, of people sharing their brokenness in, in the ways they weren't able to live out their femininity or in the ways that um, uh, they have felt discriminated or injustices in their lives. And it, it just opened my world, you know? It, it made me think about the human person. It made me think of this great gift I have. And we have to... We have to reflect on it to be able to use it. I mean, some, some people are just wonderfully blessed with um, very intact families and very, very gifted um, and blessed childhoods. But most of us weren't, had, you know, stuff that really skewed our vision of, of, what, femi- of what women are or, or what the relationship between men and women are. And so it's deep stuff, you know. We need to be set straight. We need to look at the truth of this. And, um, and that's kind of what we're doing. 
Um, we're, we're looking at the truth of, of, um, of where our dignity comes from. And uh, so if you, uh, again, because this is stuff that's deeply personal, it's not just societal, I, I encourage you, if you have, you know, if it stirs thoughts in you, if it stirs um, uh, memories and, and, and questions, take it to prayer. You know, take, take those thoughts and those memories to prayer and, and, and maybe talk with the priest about them, you know. And if you find yourself in a, in a position where you're like, gosh, I really haven't been very feminine myself or whatever, I mean, that's what the sacrament of confession is for. And we can talk about those things there, too. So don't, don't let this simply be a reflection on history or a reflection on what the church teaches. Please internalize it. And I know you do because that's what women do. So I'm going to go back to the beginning. This new feminism that we've been talking about is... Um, it's not new. It's not new at all. It started in Genesis. Okay, uh, it started with uh, the creation of woman herself. Let's see. Pope John Paul calls this. He turns back to Genesis. He calls this look at woman both. Uh, Biblical, we're looking at Genesis, but he also calls it anthropological. Anyone know what that means? Anthropology. It's the study of human development, right? It's the study of the human person throughout history. Um, it doesn't have to do with faith. It has to do with reason. It has to do with natural law. It has to do with who men are and who women are and how we've related in the course of history, how we've influenced society. And so he says this isn't just faith-based. This is reason-based. So you don't have to be Catholic to get it. You can be Muslim and get it. You know, that's, that's basically what he's saying. He turns to Genesis. I'm going to read it. Um, Genesis 1. We all know the story of creation, but there's a, there's a reason to read it. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless wasteland, and darkness covered the abyss, while a mighty wind swept over the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw how good the light was. Then God separated the light from the darkness. God called the, the light day, and the darkness he called night. The evening... The evening came, and the morning followed the first day. Then God said, Let there be a dome in the middle of the waters to separate one body of water from the other. And so it happened. God made the dome, and it separated the water from the dome, uh, separated the water above the dome from the water below it. God called the dome the sky. Evening came, morning followed the second day. Then God said, The water under... Under the sky, be gathered. Let the water under the sky be gathered into a single basin, so that the dry land may appear. And so it happened. The water under the sky was gathered into its basin, and the dry land appeared. God called the dry land the earth, and the basin of the water He called the sea. God saw how good it was. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth vegetation, every kind of plant that bears seed, and every kind of fruit, fruit that fruit tree on earth that bears fruit with seed in it. And so it happened. The earth brought forth every kind of plant that bears seed and every kind of fruit tree on the earth that bears fruit with its seed in it. God saw how good it was. Evening came and morning followed the third day. 
Then God said, Let there be the lights in the dome of the sky to separate day from night. Let them mark the fixed times, the days, the years, and serve as luminaries in the dome of the sky to shed light upon the earth. And so it happened. God made the two great lights, the greater one to govern the day and the lesser one to govern the night, and he made the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to shed light upon the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate the light from the darkness. God, God saw how good it was. Evening came and morning followed the fourth day. Then God said, Let the water teem with abundance of living creatures, and the earth let sky on the earth let, let birds fly beneath the dome of the sky. And so it happened. God created the sea monsters and all kinds of spit-swimming creatures which, with which the waters teem. All kinds of winged birds. God saw how good it was, and God blessed them, saying, Be fertile, multiply, and fill the water of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came, and morning followed the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth all kinds of living creatures, cattle, creeping things, and wild animals of all kinds. And so it happened, God made all kinds of wild animals, all kinds of cattle, all kinds of creeping things of the earth. God saw how good it was. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the cattle, and over all the wild animals and all the creatures that crawl on the ground. God created man in his image. In the image, divine image, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, saying, Be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all the living things that move. We know that was the sixth day, and on the seventh day, God rested. Why do I read this story that we all know so well? There's a drama in this story. Why did I read it quickly? Because what you see is this, is this drama in your head, if you envision it. Everything's in motion, right? We have the darkness, and then we have light. We have uncontained waters, and then we have the contours of the land. We have the starkness and the void, and then we have stars and moons. And then the climax of the world coming alive, we have man and woman, right? We have the creation of man and woman, the climax of this whole story. It just builds, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds, and then, wow, God creates man and woman. Pope John Paul tells us that the high point of creation, that, that, the, that man, the creation of man and woman is the high point of creation. It is. It's like the peak. It's the crown of creation. And the scriptures, the way they're written, actually stress that, right? Um, the, the thing is, is that you read, you read about all the creatures, and even though they had to be fertile and multiply, there was that command to the creatures too, you know, be fertile and multiply. But for, for man and woman, we weren't just created like the creatures. We were given the divine image. We were made in his image and likeness. The divine image, it stresses it. It wasn't like, oh, you were just made in his image and likeness in this way. We were made in his divine image. The scriptures stress that. We're fruitful, we multiply, and we have dominion over the earth. That's the thing the animals didn't have, that dominion part of it, this responsibility 
right? It wasn't just be fruitful and multiply. It was to, to have dominion, to reign over this earth. It's very important part that separates us from, from animals. And that's why when we, you know, uh, Shannon had mentioned that, that the uh, Catholic view of be fertile and multiply as if we are supposed to do that like rabbits, that's not necessarily what the Catholic Church is. We have to listen to what God is calling us to do. Um, there's no need for population control. There's a need to listen to what God is calling us to do and how he is calling us to have dominion, right? How he's calling us to be responsible for our lives. That's very important. That's what we need to listen to. <clears throat> I'm going to read a little bit from um, Mulieris Dignitatum, the encyclical on the dignity of women. Like I said, Pope John Paul says, this passage in Genesis contains the most fundamental human truth. He calls this the fundamental human truth, that man is the high point of the whole order of creation in the visible world. The human race, which takes its origin from the calling of existence into existence of man and woman, crowns the whole work of creation. Both men and women are human beings to an equal degree. Both are created in God's image. Why, why, are we, uh, why do we have dignity? <clears throat> Because we were created in God's image. That's huge. Our dignity comes from God, from being in his image and likeness. And it wasn't just man that was created in his image. It was man and woman. He created them, male and female, the scripture says. This image, this divine image, is passed down from the first parents through every parent since. Right? That's a beautiful thing. It's passed down through us. <laughs> this, that, that's another great great aspect of this scripture is that we have a responsibility here to pass down this divine image from one generation to the next in, in our uh, parenthood, motherhood and fatherhood. <clears throat> the second creation account zooms in on the creation of man. So the first account kind of goes through the seven days, right? The second creation count, account zooms right in where the first one left off. But it's very different. It doesn't have the same kind of drama. I read that, that one because it's quick. It's, it's, like, it's, almost, um, it's almost like, a, like poetry. Like, uh, it, it, it has a rhythm to it, and it's, it's really beautiful. But the other um, account of creation takes a different look. It's a little bit more allegorical. It's not as descriptive, per se, but it says a lot about men and women. And so we're going to read the second account of creation. I'm not, I'm not going to read the whole, whole thing because it would be very long. Then the Lord... The Lord God then took the man and settled him in the garden of Eden to cultivate and care for it. The Lord God gave man this order. You are free to eat from any of the trees of the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and bad. From that tree you shall not eat. 
The moment you eat from it, you are doomed to die. <clears throat> the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable partner for him. So the Lord God formed out of the ground various wild animals, various birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called each of them would be its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the air, and the wild animals, but none proved to be the suitable partner for the man. So the Lord God cast a deep sleep on the man. While he was asleep, he took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. The Lord God then built up into a woman the rib that he had taken from the man. Then he brought her to the man. The man said, This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman. For out of her man this one has been taken. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and the two of them shall become one body. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. What we see from this scripture in the first script in the first version of creation we heard time after time and it is good you know for each day of creation god looked at what he created and said it was good this is the first time that we hear of something not being good what was not good man was alone man was alone he had no suitable partner so what did god do he created the animals he created the beasts, the creatures. And yet this still was not a suitable partner for Adam. But when he created Eve out of Adam's side, side, equal, right? It wasn't separate. It was the same, but it was equal. It was of the same kind, but they're different, right? This, this was... This is when he said, Adam said, wow, this is it, Lord. The woman is it. It's, uh, Pope John Paul says um, that the creation of Adam and Eve is the high point and the crown. Well, I think we could say woman is like the jewel. Mm-hmm. You know? Woman is the jewel. Because it was the woman who made Adam say, wow, this is it, the woman. This is my suitable partner. He exclaimed, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. There was great joy and jubilation in, in, in woman, in being given the gift of woman. And that's something for us to, to remember, that we're a gift. We're a gift to humanity. We're a gift to man. <clears throat> Sorry. Pope John Paul emphasizes that um, a number of things about this story of, of creation. Um, it reveals the nature of who men and women are, um, what are, what it means to have dignity, what it means to be a human person. Why are we? Why were the animals not suitable for Adam? Well, because to be human, to be a human person, means that we have um, we have a rational capacity that, that the animals didn't have. We have reason. Also, to be human means we can choose. We have wills. We have free will. 
And we can choose what we do. We're not like the animals. We're not programmed just to do one thing or to do uh, to be who we are. We have been given a gift, but we must choose to live it. So to be human means to be rational and free to choose. It also... There's also something that we see here about the creation of man and woman, that they were created to be together. They were created to have unity between the two. They were created to be partners, suitable partners, complementary partners. And these are all very important parts of being human, to be created for the other. And this unity is, is a unity for the other. It's not simply, he didn't just create Eve from the dust and Adam from the dust. He created Eve from Adam's side so that they could be joined, so that they could be together, to to show that there was a togetherness. It wasn't just two separation, separate beings running around. There's a unity. story where they are created together. Yeah, the first account that I read, he created them man and woman, male and female. God created them. This isn't intended to be looked upon as one being first and the other second. There, it's, an, it's an analogy um, in, in a sense of uh, so that we can look deeper to see their, their, uh, their complementarity. So don't look at it through the eyes of one being first and the other second. That's that. We don't need to look at, we don't need to separate this into those kind of details because that's, that's the way we've been used to looking at male domination forever. You know? but, but what we see here is that it doesn't matter who's first or who's second. We were created by God for love. Mm-hmm. We were created by God in love for each other. Okay, so let's get back to that part where we're created, we're created by God for each other, to be together, to be suitable partners for each other. And, and the scripture says that Eve was created as Adam's helper. And a lot of times we think of that as um, we can get caught in the idea of it being servitude. You know, like, that, like Eve was meant to just serve Adam. But that's not it at all. He didn't look at Eve and say, oh great, I have someone to serve me. He saw a bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. He saw someone who was truly, truly suitable. Who was truly a helper. And a helper in what? In, in that dominion, they were given the command and the vocation to have domin- to be fruitful and multiply and to have dominion over the earth, to use their rational capacity to reign over the earth. They will get back to the idea of what reign means um, because we see a model of reigning, <laughs> of how to reign in Mary, and we'll get that, we'll get back to that a little later. I 
got way ahead of my notes. <laughs> I'm going to read, um, actually let's take a break because we're um, at the hour again and we have uh, just one more hour left. So let's take a break. I'm going to condense my stuff a little bit here because we've had good discussion and I think that's well worth it, but I need to condense. So let's go ahead and take another break.